0: Welcome to the Flying Solo podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish.
1: Yes, Robert Gerrish here, founder of Flying Solo, co-author of the bestseller of the same name and author of The One Minute Commute, my latest book, published by Pan Macmillan and available in all good bookshops, online, and as an audiobook, courtesy of audible.com. Yikes, six hours of me droning on. Anyway, that's enough about The One Minute Commute. Before I tell you about this show, a quick plug for Flying Solo's premium membership that has a mass of tools and benefits to help your business stand out and to ensure you stay at the top of your game. As part of membership, you get a full-page listing in the directory, entry to a private discussion group, access to a library of over 80 how-to videos, a copy of the Flying Solo book, and much more, all for just $99. Head to the join page to find out more. Now, this episode is a recording of a panel discussion from the recent Flying Solo live event in Melbourne. The theme of this particular panel was how to create a business and life you love and our panel members were Joe Burston, Sarah Prescott and Tom Griffiths. We start just as the panel have taken their seats on the stage and I introduce them one by one. So, Jo Burston is one of Australia's most successful female entrepreneurs. She's launched six businesses. Actually, any more than that, or is it still sitting at six? That's it. Okay. Just that these notes were written last week. So, (laughs) Um, including Job Capital, which went from naught to forty million dollars of turnover in five years—quite astonishing—and has kept her on the list of Australia's top thirty female entrepreneurs since two thousand and thirteen. Incredible. Jo is passionate about the idea that you can't be what you can't see and uses her businesses to inspire, support and educate entrepreneurs, in particular women and school children. Welcome Jo, thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Robert.
1: Next to Jo, Sarah Prescott. Hello Sarah, we haven't met. Hello. How are you going? Sarah Prescott leads the international marketing strategy at the well-known Australian social enterprise brand. Thank you. From the sales of its water, body care, baby care, and food, Thank You has donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to safe water, hygiene, sanitation, and food security programs in over 16 countries across the third world. Thank You is also famous for its fresh approach to branding and marketing with a mission to end poverty. Please welcome Sarah Prescott. And at the far end, Tom Griffith is the co-founder of Australian brand Emma and Tom's, which he started with his business partner, Emma Welsh. And he told me earlier he's known her since the age of 12. That's pretty amazing. Uh, In the 14 years since the business launched, uh, the business has grown to sell a range of fantastic tasting, all natural, minimally produced, sorry, minimally processed, whole fruit juices, quenches, sparkling juices, iced teas, no added sugar-flavoured milk and snack bars through more than 3,500 premium independent cafes and delis, delis, as well as the major grocery retailers and their brand philosophy is Look After Yourself. Thank you so much for joining us, Tom. Robert, thank you. Now then, panelists, in this, uh, this shift after the lunch break, so when everyone's feeling mellow and relaxed, we are here to talk about uh, creating a business and a life you love. Now, that's what we all, I think all of us in the room, most of us are either running our own businesses or in the process of starting our own businesses. And clearly, we want to enjoy those things that we do. So, maybe let's start with just seeing how kind of feasible is that? Can we really create a business we love? And I'm going to start with you. Is it feasible? It
2: is 100% feasible and 100% possible. And when I started Rare Birds, um, which is a community now of over 60,000 women entrepreneurs and their supporters globally, um, the initial businesses that I approached to help us with a bit of funding and get a bit of a leg up and open some doors for me, said to me, Joe, why aren't you running a not-for-profit? Why what, sorry? Why aren't you running a not-for-profit? And I thought, this is really odd because I'm an entrepreneur and I actually don't know how to run one. That's the first thing. And secondly, this is something I truly, deeply and wholeheartedly believe in. So there's purpose behind it. So I had to think about a business model that could feed the business, be commercially self-sustainable, create social and economic impact in equal measurements, and that I really love to do and get up every day and... I'm obsessively passionate about what I do. So yes, the okay. Answer and is...
1: How how do you keep that passion alive? You know, you've been running your business for a while. You run a number of businesses. How do you do that? How do you get in and go in every day and My keep question it alive?
2: is, how do you stop it?
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> Fine. Oh, that's good.
2: Um, it's insatiable. Like I've got an appetite for learning. I've got an insatiable curiosity. I've got a desire to change the world to make it a better place every day and when those elements sit within you emotionally and commercially how do you stop that Mm. not how do you make it
1: yeah okay perfect response Sarah what about your good self how are you managing to keep love alive in your business uh, and assuming that it is alive and well in your business
3: yeah, I think um, for thank you, it's interesting. Like we've just um, celebrated 10 years um, since we started, just last Thursday actually as a team. And I think as I was um, sitting there in that team environment and just looking around, I've got about, I think we've got over 55 staff now, nearing 60. Um, I started more with six people. So um, it's been a crazy six years of, of growth. But just sitting there going, it's crazy to see that we've created this company and this vision that, isn't just fulfilling me personally or the co-founders, the other leadership team, but we've created this company where these 55 people are finding such meaning in in what they do, and I think, yeah that's incredible I think to sort of see that journey um over the past six years and and being part of that and
1: when you where you have um with your team you know this team of people that are all enjoying on the same kind of mission and purpose as you have presumably such is the nature of, of some of those people that they'll then want to go off and do their own version of this how is how how does that work for you because on the one hand you you I guess you kind of want to release more people into the world doing this, but then you're losing someone. How do you cope with that?
3: Totally. I think it's, it's a really interesting question because I think in the early days, there was like this group of us that um, worked really closely together and we kind of had this really weird idea that no one would ever leave. Like, we'd all just be together forever and we'd build this thing and it would be amazing and no one would leave. And I remember when the first person like left after a couple of years, it was this huge thing. Like, oh my goodness, they're leaving. How are we going to keep it together and uh, obviously 10 years on it's it's good we're all together we're um, not all of us together but we're all you know still going and it's all fine but I think um, over time we have exactly realized that that thing that people um, come to thank you and they come to um, to rare birds to Emma and Tom's for a season and it's um, you know people contribute things in their season but also I think when you hire incredible people with incredible talent um, you have to be prepared for the fact that eventually they will probably move mm. on and do something else. So I think part of what we, um, how we see our role at Thank You as, as leaders is to um, not bring the best out of people just for our, ourselves at Thank You, but also help find the in people so they can, I guess, do what they're meant to yes. do.
1: And I planet. guess you don't have many people coming up saying, look, well, I'm just sick of doing so much good. I want to go off and do something, something horrible. It doesn't happen No, it doesn't regularly. happen. That's good. No. And uh, Tom, to you, in your business now, actually you have a business philosophy, which is look after yourself. So yeah, we'll maybe I'll it. change the question slightly to you and just say how does that kind of show up in, in your business?
4: I mean, easy. We have a, a lens that we look through, which is look after yourself. And Emma, and my view, is fairly and squarely that people are happier when they're healthy. So if they eat well, they'll stay well. So everything we do drives down that line, and um, I suppose the longevity is because it's like our baby, and like your own baby, you want it to thrive and grow and be perfect. So that's what we try and do And come to work each day to do that, to take the next step. And as you know, the more you sort of push, you do get a result finally. You might take five steps forward and get one back, but you do end up going forward, To the point that um, in the last month, our newest customer is a company called Coca Cola. Oh,
1: wow.
4: And they are now ordering a lot of our bars because they have to put vending machines into schools and hospitals, and they did not have the product to meet that. Right. So that's sort of, you have these little wins along the way, and that makes it worthwhile, and off you go. Fantastic.
1: Okay. Now, look, before I'm going to ask some more questions, but do please bear in mind. The idea is that uh, this is for you to ask questions as well. So we have um, a group of people here that have a lot to share. So please, do I have my roving mic people in the vicinity? Yes. If you you have a question, and often I find at about this stage in a conference, people sitting there thinking, oh, if only I'd asked something before, then I could have (laughs) let people know I'm here. Well, now's your chance. And it's kind of your last one. I, so we'll... I
2: know those eyes when I can see them. <laughs> yes. <eyes. laughs> so we'll, <No>. we'll start <laughs> taking some questions on <laughs> the comments. So
1: yes, sir, please. Your question. Des? Ah. Hi. My name is Emmanuel. I'm from Kids Nation Magazines, And we've actually featured uh, Jared, uh, Justin, and uh, Daniel in um, our magazine. My question is, um, as a business that you created out of love, uh, I noticed your product is all over the major supermarket and um, going back. In the, uh, from the early years, how do you? What is your
0: best proposition? Uh, because when you created something that you love, you don't necessarily come up with the, the best proposition for the the big players. So how do you come up with that? And how do you actually
1: uh, beginning gaining grounds on a on a bigger marketplace, if you like? And who's your questioner? Sorry, uh, Sarah. Sorry. Yes, okay, that's <laughs> okay. all right. Sorry. I can see you looking at me yeah. and like I'm pretty yes. sure you're asking I thought me he was question, looking at question. Talking about
3: Jared and Justine and Dan. So Sarah, um, did you get that? Uh, I, I think so. I think okay. so what you were asking was really around, I guess, what is our value proposition?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, but to the, to the case, um,
0: getting the, the footing in the market well, when all that you have is something out of your, your passion.
1: Yeah, so you're new, you're small, there's all these established players. How did you kind of get in there and get not noticed, I think is what you were saying. Yeah.
3: It was really hard and look, to be honest, it, it, it still is hard, I think. Um, you know, being FMCG, um, for anyone in this room who is in the space, um, Tom, you get FMCG, it? FMCG,
1: um, fast-moving consumer goods, just sorry, in case anybody I'm doesn't.
3: Already using jargon and lingo. I'm going to try and stop that. But I think um, it's, it's tough. And the challenge is that you're up against really established brands who have been in the industry for many, many years with massive, massive marketing budgets as well. So, I think for us what we've found over the years is that we've really had to come up with ways to stand out um, in a very crowded market and um, also really unique ways to speak to our consumer as well. So I think what we have done at Thank You is really kind of without really intending to kind of created this consumer lifestyle movement that we also create obviously consumer goods in Um, body care baby products water as well Um, so uh, in that I I think what we've done is created I guess something for consumers to buy into as well as obviously a great product but we also really believe um, fundamentally in terms of how we speak to consumers that people we need to make sure our product is is awesome so we're not ever going to you know, sell a product on a cause only because if we do that, people will buy it once, probably have a terrible product experience, and then never buy it again. The product has to stack up; it has to be as good, if not better, than competitors. So I think that for us has been a real focus: how do we create a really, really great product and not just rely upon our cause to sell it? So um, that for us is is huge. Like we're always thinking about how we can refine what we do, how to innovate best in terms of all of our product categories, um, but also a big thing for us is how we, how we market um, has always been that we try and come up with ideas that are going to cut through to our consumer, because I think all of us in this room, we are bombarded with messages every single day. Look, I don't know how many of you go through your Instagram feed and you're like, I've just been served with like 25 sponsored posts. Like, it's crazy, right? So how do we cut through the consumer? How do we reach them? And that's the challenge that that we've, we've really faced at Thank You and we've become known at Thank You for this kind of innovative disruptive marketing, which I think is really, it's like such a buzzword, right? Disruptive marketing. And I think for us, we didn't do it, we haven't done disruptive marketing campaigns just to be disruptive, but because we've known that we've had to do it, we've had to actually be disruptive to get the cut through because we literally don't have the budgets of our competitors. And one thing that we believe at Thank You really fundamentally is that if you have an amazing idea, disruptive idea, it's going to carry a long way more than an average idea will with a lot of spend behind it. Okay,
1: thank so, you. All right, well, a that's a great yeah. response. Thank you. So, um, Joe, I might just bring you on, on a slightly different angle, so I'm going to pull us back to this love theme
4: um,
1: <laughs> a little bit more if I can. So, what challenges have you faced in your business that have in any way sort of started to derail your enjoyment or your team's enjoyment and how have you overcome them? You must have stuff that comes up that challenges your... There's plenty.
2: Look, there's in 12 years of entrepreneurship and building commercial, very commercial businesses as well as social impact companies there's probably not many challenges I haven't had to Mm. face and that includes everything from people and culture, from uh, finance, from legal, from you name it. I mean, I've yep. eaten a few glasses, to okay. be honest. And <laughs> I what think... Do you
1: remember, and I'm, I'm sorry to push you on this, but I'm going to. Um, do you remember one particular challenge that, that yeah. still kind of sits yeah. with you? And Yeah, and this one? is
2: very, very close to me still. So, you know, I could ball my eyes out any second. Um, You're among friends, is okay. <laughs> Um, but I built Startup.Business, which is an education company. Um, we take the learning and the mindset of entrepreneurship into school curriculum, which we've successfully done in every state and territory now in Australia, which is a Fantastic. huge, huge achievement huge. to be able to do that. Um, and early early days of the business, so we're a couple of years in. And in uh, April last year, not this year, the last year, um, I lost my business partner to a stroke. Oh. So uh, he's an incredible academic, um, has previously been a business owner, was the head of entrepreneurship innovation at Sydney University and a very dear friend of mine as well. So all of a sudden, you know, the business had such amazing prosperity Mm. and great timing and governments were just, you know, chasing us down to talk to us and Department of Education and universities and... You know, this, this young man of 48 literally had a stroke Gosh. and passed away a week later. Ugh. So that's kind of the How ulti- did you
1: come back from that? Well, what that's the
2: it? ultimate of being hit in the side of the head with a blunt instrument in mm-hmm. business, right? And I spent the next six months of that um, year really having a pretty deep conversation with myself about, you know, what does this look like? Can I do it? Can I do it without the academic? Um, have I got the guts? You know, have I? What? How important is this legacy to me? Mm. How important is this legacy to his family? How important is this legacy to the future of the 5.3 million kids who are under 18 and that are mobile enabled that need to have entrepreneurship as a? core focus. And presumably
1: the answers that came back were, it's very important. Well,
2: I kind of got to a point in December last year, so not that long ago, and I just had a really good look at myself and went, you know what, you can do this, you can do this. And just as I changed this mindset to grief um, through this transition to extreme positivity about, you know, I'm all or nothing, so I'm 100% in or Mm. I'm 100% out, And just as I made this switch in my mindset, I was speaking at an Australian Financial Review Summit, and the CEO of a very large institution heard me talk about the skills that young people need to navigate the fourth industrial revolution. And he went, oh my goodness me, this is exactly the program that we need to launch through regional rural Australia. And we signed a contract in January.
1: Wow, so the minute you started to allow the notion of, yes, I'm going is, on, I'm going to the do person it. appeared.
2: I'm going to do the it. And then all, appeared. you know, it's, maybe it's serendipity. I don't believe it is. I don't believe yeah. it's good luck. I just believe um, it's pretty hard work and, and, and mindset. Mm. So as soon as I'd made that decision, the first um, contract landed. Within two weeks of that contract landing, I had um, morning tea one Saturday with the first teacher that we ever did the pilot in schools with. She'd just um, resigned from her teaching position. I'm like, you're coming to work with me next week. <laughs> so I had you know, a great program education director come on board within a week of landing that contract. So it was about being um, resilient. Yes more than anything it's yeah. about never ever ever giving up and always getting up mm. when something bad happens and
1: maintaining that belief that, that was uh, under some pressure but and you surrounding did. yourself with yeah. the
2: people that believe that you are able to do it yeah. as well
1: thank you thank you. and you didn't buckle in any of that I'll so. have a
2: glass of wine on the plane
1: <laughs> thank you Tom a slightly different question to you but um, and just please remember any questions in the room where are our roving mic people do we have any questions at this juncture uh all one here. I'm sorry. I'll be within a second. Hold that call. Sorry, Tom. Um, common wisdom sort of suggests whatever you do, you don't go into business with your friends. You've now been uh, in business for 14 years with a friend you had from the age of 12. How's that work?
4: Yeah, it's been a long time. I mean, everyone knows um, they've seen business partnerships break up because somebody goes and raids the bank account or. If they're co-heads of a department of a public company, there's an ego clash and it doesn't work. And we've worked through a lot of things. We actually, once again, focus on what's best for the customer, which helps us make decisions. Uh, we're the two really sole shareholders, so we have to agree to move forward. And I suppose we are both growing up, and we based it on, I suppose, three main factors that we have in our, in our, in our business relationship, and they are trust, respect, and a shared vision. I think without that, we wouldn't have succeeded at all. Um, and basically, I think any relationship needs to have those factors, frankly. Um, and it's through that platform that we work together, and I suppose we are very careful that we maintain a high level of respect. Yes. Okay. Uh, because you have to, and it gets down and dirty, as you know, in business. You know, we had a point where about nine years ago, Emma you know, hunched over her computer on a wet August afternoon and we realised we were churning our customers at 30% a year. And we had done our dough, and Eminem said, we can trade our way out of this. And you know, I jumped in a van and went and started selling door to door, and it worked a treat. A mate of mine let us $100,000 to pay the freight companies, because of course, if you don't pay them, they don't pick up, no business, no, no stock. And we, we traded out of that literally to today, we've now got 3,000 of those customers, and it's been the basis also of all of our NPD because you start wearing a distribution hat and go, well, if you we stop our van here, what more can we sell? Yep. Hence the bath, the milk, and everything else that's mm-hmm. come with that. So that m- massive failure ended up being the sort of the, well, you know, to quote J.K. Rowling, the rock bottom, the platform which we rebuilt our life.
1: Yeah, okay. And do you finish each other's sentences? Have you known each other this long, <laughs> or?
4: No, I've got a, um, a mother, two sisters, and two daughters. So oh, I okay.
1: <laughs> everyone finishes yours then. <laughs> Okay. All right. Sorry. Thank you. We have a question over here. Yes, please.
3: Hi. My name's Sarah. I've got a question, I think, probably for Sarah or Joe. Um, I've had an extensive sort of professional history in social justice and public health, working with young Aboriginal children, uh, nursing, and now currently working with you in the youth justice system here in Melbourne. Do you have any advice on starting up NGOs or not-profits p- for you know the likes of me who has got professional connections, a love, a desire and determination to help vulnerable young children, given that there already are a plethora of NGOs and not-profits, for you know, out in the sector.
2: Yes, I can help you there. What's your name, sorry? Sarah. Sarah. Um, You don't necessarily need to be an NGO operator to be able to make that impact. And I'll give you a great example of how we've done it. Um, And I can only share experiences. I don't want to give you advice. In 2017, I approached the Prime Minister's Office and Cabinet and the Office for Women and put forward a proposal for them that we um, provide a mentoring program for 100 marginal demographic women across Australia to go through a 12-month program where we select a mentor and we then match those up with these mentees. Now, these women were Indigenous, Torres Strait Island refugee, migrant, low socioeconomic background, disabled, regional and rural. So very broad scope from every corner of Australia. And because of the strength of the proposal that we put forward to the Office of Women, we actually received a grant to develop that um, learning and education. And that finished, that we've we'll just met the nine month mark of it now. My message there is you don't necessarily need to be the NGO or a not for profit to make that impact and find the right channels through um, either state or federal government to pursue the, the capital that you might need to do so. Okay,
3: thank you.
1: Thank you. Um, Sarah, anything to add?
3: I would just echo what Joe said, really. I mean, um, we have a similar mindset of um, how can we partner with existing um, NGOs as well um, and, you know, charities in the space. When we first started, we were kind of, you know, weighing out do we become a charity or do we work with charities? And what we've done is worked with a whole range of charities. So um, the whole idea that if we all partner together, we can help achieve something great because obviously these charities have years and years of experience. So, not to say you shouldn't do it, but I think there's definitely ways to partner together.
1: Okay, thank you, thank you for your question. Now, I have unbelievably the final question because we're out of our time. The phrase lifestyle business is often thrown around and a number of us in the room will either sit comfortably with that or not. Uh, I personally sit very comfortably with it because my in my definition, well, I'll tell you what I think it is. I think a lifestyle business is simply one that has at its core the purpose of allowing whoever's running the business to live the life they choose, live, how, live and work how they want to. Would you? My question to each of you is, A, do you agree with that, and are you therefore running a lifestyle business yourself?
2: I like your definition of it, Robert. It's quite accurate. I think that the perceived stigmatism around lifestyle business probably isn't in the media what you've just described.
1: No, it's usually yeah. people lying in hammocks with laptops.
2: Yeah, or it's yeah. Um, single business owners that are perhaps just earning enough money to replace a salary. Yep. So I actually like your definition of it. Okay. My life and my style is my lifestyle.
1: Okay. Perfect. And, so your business is that. And
2: my business is a part of that. I mean, they're so blended. They're so part of one yep. thing. You know, I don't. I'm not a different person in business than I am personally. No. It's exactly the same here. I think that's me. a
1: lovely measure. If the person that goes home is the same person during the day, and your kids don't all kind of duck for cover when you walk in the front door, <laughs> I think too. that's a pretty good sign. Okay, thank you, Joe. Sarah, what's your thought?
3: Um, yeah, I love the definition as well, and I think I was just reflecting that actually on. Um, Yeah, I'll be in a lifestyle business, and I think we are. Like we've got um, our co-founders are living in a different country at the moment. We've got our um, COO in a different country at the moment. Are they Um, trying to
1: tell you something? What's going on?
3: Oh, I don't know. Maybe they want us all to move to New Zealand. I don't know what's going on. But um, and then I work um, in my role. I've. try to obviously balance motherhood and, and work so um, I'm able to do that in what I in my role so I think um, I think definitely I think it's really important as well that we try and um, work with people with their lives and how that all yes. looks and I think we try and do that as much as we can at, you know at, at our organization so I think it's definitely important though. yeah
1: okay great thank you Tom what about yourself
4: yeah I um, also agree I mean era and I hate the phrase work-life balance because it sort of implies work bad, life good, and that's just complete rubbish, obviously, because if you don't love what you're doing, uh, I guess you head around and you'll be doing it for probably 10 to 14 years until 15 years until it sort of evolved to the point you want to get it to, so you need to love it, um, and we treat our team the same way. We don't micromanage anyone. Um, everyone in our group has basically made their own job, and they go do it, and you know, we'll help them all we can if they need help, otherwise we leave it to them. Um, and similarly, you know, we can, be off doing something like this today, uh, and in return that means I probably work tonight, and that's my choice. Um, you know, I was at the gym this morning early, and that's my choice too. And obviously, as David alluded to, now with all the, um, everything in the cloud, everything mobile, you know, even running a, I suppose, an old technology type business that we run, we can do an awful lot by, by um, remotely. Uh, I have offices in Sydney and Brisbane and Perth, so I can sort of hop around there, and we fit it in. I've always been also, like Sarah, um, almost a sole parent to two little girls since they were born, so I've juggled that. Emma juggles her her, her, her son, um, and that's a given, and we know that, the team knows that. But at the end of the day, you've got to get a body of work done as well. That's where how it doesn't really apply. OK,
1: great. Thank you. Please join me in thanking our panel this afternoon, Jo Burstyn, Sarah Prescott and Tom Griffith. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you all.
0: And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au.